at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Here we go. Friday, Friday, Friday. Get it right. Opening of the show. Blue. That was my fault. Fired up. Got to get more fired up. Wow. Army is fired up. Out of the gates at UTSA. And uh, I can't tell if it's a massive crowd or they just really filled the section behind one of the goalposts. But uh, Army just kicked a field goal into a section of frenzied fans going crazy. Uh, I was at UTSA with UNLV a couple of years ago, Damon, and... uh, the Alamo Dome for football is kind of cool. It's not massive. Probably holds max 35,000. But if they get people in there and it looks like they're building a fan base, UTSA is a pretty cool place to watch a game. And their results and the money they put into the program actually gives UTSA a chance to again move up when there's some conference chaos. So they just moved up. But they're doing it right there. They pay their coach a lot of money. And they've invested a lot of money in San Antonio, which we already know is Dallas Cowboy crazy. So why can't they be UTSA crazy in addition to, I'm sure, there's a lot of Texas fans there. So good football being played tonight. Do we have a uh, where's – where's the scoreboard? Where's the scoreboard? It's the uh, score on the, uh, the other 4 o'clock game that started. By the way, Utah State and Air Force in the Mountain West Conference just kicking off. That one is in Colorado Springs. Uh, we'll get you a number on Virginia and Maryland here in a second. Big hour on the way. So I got to ask you, Damon, before we get into the NFL topics here and again at the end of the show, and then we're going to have a conversation with uh, someone from Vandy to preview the Vanderbilt side of things for tomorrow's UNLV game over at the Al. Are you ready every Friday to do football picks? Because I don't know that you guys were hardcore with Q on Raider Nation Radio and doing Friday football picks. You tell me, am I am I reading that wrong? You're not reading it wrong at all because he's very competitive, but I also lack the um you the, can follow, say the the follow through, you know, on each and every game. Okay. Some games I'm all right, what's the cuz we would only pick winners, you know, you guys do it differently. You guys are we're picking against the spread here. Oh yeah. And uh it's a new era for Demon. Yeah. New era. We bet at the books. I'm betting on my phone. We want picks. Our listeners want picks. But I think you're ready to go this week. So, I just, if you're not, you got some time. You got some time to come up with some good takes. No, I'm cuz this week's slate is really interesting and uh, when we're talking to Patrick, it, the the numbers have gone back and forth and there are a lot of listen, in in sports betting, you know, we, it's it's come to the surface more and more that you know, now you, you hear people talking sports betting around the country. We've always done this stuff, but the pros versus Joe's angle on betting, especially the NFL, you'll see because you can you can get the information on how much, what the split is on ticket counts, and what the split is on the cash. And there are just certain games each week where you see the ticket count is really high on one side say the favorite side and then the numbers coming down wait like wait if everyone's betting by the tickets on the favorite 
But the numbers coming down, that means the bigger cash is actually going on the dog, and that's why you'll see the number come down. we got a bunch of situations like that. And sometimes, sometimes it can be both the public and the Sharps, or some of the public and the Sharps, bringing the number down. So we'll examine it a little more as the Raiders number here at TI, at Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar, is now down to 7.5. It opened the week at 9.5. So... And uh, I think I'm more comfortable with taking the Bills at 7.5 than I am at 9.5 if you wanted. So clearly, if you wanted the Bills, you're in a decent position today. But I'll warn everyone, who knows what happens on Saturday and Sunday. These numbers could jump right back up. So our frenzy at 4 o'clock, we concentrate mostly on football. Um, Listen, it's not the biggest game of the week. I'll be paying attention to it. I think a lot of people are going to be paying attention to it because of Dion. But I'll also be paying attention to Colorado and Colorado State because I cover a lot of the Mountain West Conference. And Jay Norvell trying to have a little bit of fun, maybe take a shot at Dion, uh, making a mention of, you know, being an adult, take off your hat, take off your glasses. Um, I heard some people in the building jump to a conclusion on that, that this coach of CSU was anti Dion because of what? Uh, because of race. Okay. And, you know. Has, th- has he ever seen Jay Norvell? Hey, I, I will say this. You, he, he could pass. I mean, you know, if you just gave him a quick glance, you probably wouldn't know. You had, you really got to, you know, study him. All right. So I'll, I'll, I'll try to get I'll, him I'll, I'll, I'll have to, I'll have to step out on this one. I can pop James on if you guys want to have a light skin, dark skin thing. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing it. But uh, Stephen A. Of course, had to have a take on this. So at the beginning, you're gonna hear the audio again of Jay Norvell trying to take a shot, stir the pot on Dion, and then, uh, you know, I was just mentioning betting. Uh, when you have strong takes on the stuff, you can bet. So I hope Stephen A. has a couple of phone accounts where he can bet. Let's go. Get on this game, Stephen A., if this is what you think. When I talk to grown-ups, I take my hat and my glasses off. That's what my mother talked. So, you know, they're not going to like us no matter what we say or do. It doesn't matter, okay? Well, it's good that he said that. He's not wrong, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Sometimes I see plenty of people talk with their hats on, their glasses on, et cetera, et cetera. But if I was Deion Sanders, I would heed those words. And here's what I would do. I would go out there Saturday. I would bust their living ass. And then I'd go to midfield at the end, and I'd take off my hat and my glasses and say, congratulations, great game. That's exactly how I would do it. And that's exactly what's going to happen, Saturday. Oh, all right. Woo-hoo-hoo. So I would bust his ass, and that's exactly what's going to happen on Saturday. All right, Stephen A., tweet out a ticket, brother. Let's go. I'll do it for him. How about that? You're going to bet. You're going to bet some pizza money on Colorado. Yes. That didn't sound confident at all. You're like, yes. You know what? Ten. Don't get gun. Don't get gun shy because week one in the NFL has you on the wrong side of JVT. If you're going to bet. You got to keep firing. I'll tweet it's out a, the ticket. It's, it's, it's about volume. I'll tweet out the ticket. It's all about you can correct everything by just betting more and more and more. That's not good advice. No, I, oh. I actually heard somebody say that when it was like an undefeated. It was like, hey, if a fighter's undefeated, just keep betting on them to lose. Eventually, <laughs> yeah. they're going to have to lose. That's, uh, that's another betting style that does not work. <laughs> the do factor. Uh, trust me, I've been caught in many baseball situations where I'm like, ah, I mean, come on. You know, this is due to happen. And then, like, seven bets in, I'm like, it ain't happening, and I'm running out of money. Number eight's the I, one. Because, yeah, you did. Number eight's the one. But I've had to double up every time, and now I'm running out of money. So if you have unlimited funds, you can keep doing that. But if you have a limited bankroll, that ain't the best way to go. So. You just got paid today, man. Who knows? Is, I might go crazy. Is there something 
I keep asking everyone, is there something more to this, though, with Jay Norvell? Because I do think – I think Norvell is repping a lot of old-school coaches. And the funny thing here is Dion's 56 and Norvell's 60, so he's not older. Is there something bigger at hand where there, there are a lot of coaches griping about how Dion looks? And by the way, um, when Stephen A. said, you know, I've seen a lot of people do, you know, have conversations with a hat and glasses on. Glasses like Dion? Like, if I did that, do you, you know how absurd I would look? Like these crazy gold. Ref- By the way, do they have a name? I, I heard someone mention the name earlier. Does he have a deal with someone? Yeah, he's got like a whole line. He was on the Pat McAfee show hawking him. Okay. I didn't catch the name of him, but he's like, yeah, you can buy him now. I mean, if I can get cheap knockoffs at a gas station, I might do it. Or the, uh, the swap meet. You wouldn't pay prime dollar for prime not, time? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I respect Dion, and I'm sure you know, we know he's a – a man of fashion and style, but no, because I will I will step on them or sit on them or, you know I have we now have a young cat in the house who just takes stuff and hides it, so it's not good. It's not a good situation right now. It's been it's been rough at home. Actually, my my beard and mustache area are more scraggly than ever because I have multiple trimmers that have attachments on it, and this g damn cat has stolen all of my short attachments. I don't believe you. How is I, the cat getting a hold of all of these attachments? Because the cat jumps up on the counter and does whatever it wants. And, and it's yelled at. It's, it, you spray it with water. It doesn't care. So when I'm not there, it's just running roughshod in the bathroom. Let me take this. Let me take that. The cat knows. I'm guessing the SO is more of the cat lover in the house. Uh, I don't dislike the cats, but I don't want my stuff stolen. I like the cats. If I wasn't a cat person... We have three inside, and we're now we've got a gaggle of cats outside that she's feeding to the tune of a total of seven cats. It's gotten a bit out of control. I would go crazy over at your I'm, house. Oh I'm, go, I'm, I'm, go, I'm starting to go crazy. My stuff's getting stolen, and I can't. There's a lot of times I go to walk out the door, and I'm like, ah, there's a, there's a cat sitting right outside the door. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it hang out there for a little bit. I don't want to scare it. I see you on a daily basis. How are you <laughs> not covered in fur? Uh. Um, you don't look close enough. Oh. It's not, that's another bad situation. I had, to buy, I had to buy a bunch of those little tape rollers. And if I forget to roll stuff, and this is like clean clothes too because there's mm-hmm. just fur flying everywhere. Yeah, it's a weird situation. When I worked at a fast casual eating place that we all know and love. Fast casual, okay. Yeah. The manager said, do you have a cat at home? I said, yes, my roommates had cats. Yeah. And it was like, I can tell you've got fur all over. Ah. And it was like, well, now I'm getting caught. It's not even my cat. Yep. But I'm being affected. Well, it's bad for me because the uh, fatter I get, the more black I buy. So, Because, you know, black slimming. I look totally thin and black. Um, yeah, there are a lot of times when you catch the light the right way in the car, you leave home, you got whatever black outfit you got on, and you're like, seriously? So I get it. I get it. They mess up everything. I want to try to turn this around and say I'm not anti-cat, but I am. On the NFL, can the uh, I'm pro Dolphins, the animal. Uh, I'm very anti-Patriots, the real thing, and uh, I mean the football team, and, and some of you people claim to be Patriots because it's kind of ridiculous, your claims. Um, Patriots, it got up to three for the Dolphins. It's now two and a half. Do you like the Dolphins as a football team, or are you just another one of the guys on the show who is a massive Mike McDaniel fan? I don't like what you're implying. I do like them as a football I don't, team. I, I am implying something accurate. I don't care if you don't like it. I don't think you're objective. I, I, think, I think you guys get such a kick out of this dude 
Because here, here's the interesting thing about McDaniel. Uh, well, I was going to tie him to Dion, but we know why people aren't as outraged with McDaniel as they are with Dion. We know. But McDaniel really is like Dion is anti the stodgy, you know, general, very serious football coach. But so is McDaniel. And I, I started talking about this last year that I, I didn't know if McDaniel was going to work, especially if there were some struggles, because he's not he's not fire and brimstone guy. He's not big galoot. Like big galoot is Mario Cristobal, who's like six eight and you know two hundred and eighty pounds, or Dan Campbell. You know they're just big and intimidating. <laughs> got that voice and everything. Um, McDaniel's kind of a nerd. He's a Yale guy, and then he's incredibly sarcastic. I think he. I don't think I. Well, I don't know what he does to relax, but I, I think during the the year at different points, he will light up and chill out. And I didn't know this about him, and I didn't notice him doing it, but Daniel Jeremiah said he's watching the game last week. He was at SoFi, and he noticed Mike McDaniel pick up on what the in-house cameras were doing. If you've been to SoFi, when they have a challenge, they'll put both coaches on the screen. Well, Mike McDaniel, sees it, he's looking at it, He sees himself up there. They're zoomed in on his face, pulls his microphone from his headset down, Ryan, and he goes, run the ball the next five plays. Run the ball the next five <laughs> plays. And I'm like, this is hilarious. I mean, of course, they're chucking it all over the lot. Like, he yeah. just, he, it was just, oh, it was, it was beautiful. You imagine Staley looking up at the same time and he's like, wait, did he just say he's going to run the ball five <laughs> times in a row? It's getting out of the box. Getting out of the box. Maybe he did. Maybe that's why Tyreek Hill was running all over the field. He fooled him. And that's why he's great. You're talking about he's not one of the big galoots, but he's got the stones like him. Yeah, yeah, he's not afraid of anybody, and that's why I like Mike McDaniel. He's an innovator on offense, and you said so. Him and Dion, Mike McDaniel, your brother in my book, he counts. Well, he is. He actually is. Yeah. He, I mean, I think it threw everyone for a loop that he was mixed race. I mean, he didn't, and he didn't kind of jump on the whole thing. He didn't really embrace it. But uh, hey, if your approval is what we needed, we got it now. There we go. This game scares the hell out of me. So right off the bat, why does it scare you? Uh, the line does, and I'm I'm gonna bet the Dolphins, and I really should get rid of the rationale that well Belichick is scary. I think Belichick will come up with a decent game plan, but the problem is the Belichick tradition and history on defense is, hey, you got a dominant weapon, he ain't gonna have a big game. But the problem with the Dolphins is that while Jalen Waddle got almost no action last week because Tyreek Hill was open all the time, the alternative here is, yes, you just stopped Tyreek Hill. Okay, Tua, he's not open. Look for Jalen Waddle. And Waddle was a well over a 1,000-yard receiver last year too. And the other issue in this game, Damon, I don't care what Mac Jones threw for last week. I still don't trust Mac Jones. He's going to be better this year just – just out of common sense, right? Matt Patricia and Joe Judge are not running the offense. Bill O'Brien's a pretty decent OC, so he's going to be better, but he has no weapons. He has no weapons. I will say this. In the game that Tua did play, Miami won 20-7. to Oh, I'm well aware. So, I mean, 
Which, if you're if you're a Patriots fan or the Patriots defense, you're like, yeah, pretty decent job we did against them. What the hell happened in the offense? Now, again, their offense is going to be better. They do need to get healthy in the run game, but I'm still going to take the Dolphins in that one. So let me give you a couple of keys and uh, have your reaction or get your reaction on the Raiders and the Bills. How easy will it be, or let me set it, Set it up better. How successful will the Raiders be in protecting Jimmy G? Because Bills on defense are pretty damn good. Uh, they gave a bunch of hell to one Aaron Rodgers, who they knocked out of the game and out for the season. Um, you have the numbers in front of you? Because last week, between Wilson and Rodgers, the Bills got... Three sacks, eight hits, 26 pressures. Leonard Floyd was what he's always supposed to have been and, uh, you know, kind of what he was at least early with the Rams. Uh, Russo, Russo, um, those guys had five pressures each. And while I do believe this Raiders offensive line has improved, uh, Van Roten was pretty solid in his debut. If Jimmy G is running for his life, the Raiders are in big trouble. If he's getting hit, the Raiders are in big trouble. I think that the Raiders offensive line is going to hold up better because you did really? you see one of the things that people were saying about the Jets offensive line where they were going for those cut blocks yeah. and they were just easily getting past them. That's the the blocks that they were doing that eventually led to Aaron Rodgers getting hurt where they're basically just trying to dive at him a little bit and they're not actually blocking. Now, I'm no offensive line guru, but watching a little bit of the All-22 with the Raiders, their offensive line, they're not going for those, I'm just call it those cheap blocks. Colton Miller is a better left tackle. I'd say he's top 10 in the league. So when it comes to just the overall line, that left side, Colton Miller, Dylan Parham, I think that's a pretty solid duo right there. Yeah. So I'm not saying that Jimmy G won't get sacked, he won't get touched, he's going to finish with a clean jersey, but I do think that this Raiders offensive line is better than people think, and it's way better than the Jets offensive line that we saw on Monday. Well, and even though the Raiders off, or check that, the Jets offensive line isn't great, uh, the run game for the Jets had a lot of success with Brees Hall, who's probably 90% right now, and uh, you hate to do this to Josh Jacobs because he's only back for two weeks, but he made that choice. He needs to be really good because that's the way you counter uh, guys pinning their ear backs, uh, ears back and getting a million pressures, freaking run the ball down their throats, right? That creates hesitation. It did last night with the Vikings. DeAndre Swift was awesome. It slowed down the Vikings, and it kind of set everything up for a physical game. So Josh Jacobs and that line, that's the way you counter guys who are getting a lot of pressures in the week before. But also, I think this will be a big game to see what the tight ends can do. Hooper, Mayer, because we saw with the Jets, once Aaron Rodgers went out, it was we're going with the jumbo package and we're bringing in some tight ends yeah. to help with the run game. So this, is, this might be a big game. Maybe if Josh McDaniels can say, oh, maybe the Bills struggle with the tight ends a little bit, but are the Raiders tight ends you know, equipped to just say, hey, we're just going to be blocking for J.J. and we're leaving the passing behind. Coming up, we're going to preview the UNLV Vanderbilt game. It's a 4 o'clock kickoff tomorrow. Uh, myself and Russ Langer and Caleb Herring will start off the uh, pregame. UNLV football pregame show is presented by Ted Weens. We'll start that at 3 o'clock on the show. You're going to hear from uh, players like uh, Tad Martinson and Jackson Woodard and uh, more of the Vandy side that we uh, previewed uh, with this week. But on the way, the sideline reporter for Vanderbilt, Kevin Ingram, will join us here on Cofield & Company. 
You're listening to Cofield and Company, live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. Great breakthrough by Thomas, who blocked it. And Iquinogany has it for Dallas. Noah Iquinogany stays inbounds, and the Cowboys special team gets the first score of the year. Touchdown, Dallas. Cowboys with a big night, especially on special teams and defense. A lot of the scoring by those units in that 40 to nothing victory against the Giants on Sunday Night Football. That was Mike Tirico on the call. It's Cofield and Company. Steve Cofield, Damon, is back in the Finley Toyota Studios. We're watching all the games here. 55-plus TVs, Golden Circle, Sportsbook, and Bar. Army up 20-7 to on UTSA. Virginia and Maryland tied at 14, and it seemed like they just kicked off in Colorado Springs, but Air Force is already up 15-0. I'm going to say a couple things, and it's going to sound, <laughs> it's going to sound like I'm contradicting myself. Um, I liked Utah State to stay close in this game against Air Force. I also have Air Force rated the number two team in the Mountain West Conference, so I have a lot of respect for Air Force. And I will jinx myself the in-game number here at uh, – Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar is Utah State getting 23-and-a-half. So, of course, I jumped on it as everything is going the wrong way for our guy Cooper Lega and the Aggies. They just had a turnover that led to that second touchdown. It was a fumble. But we'll jump on them. We'll jump on them. Let's get into this uh, Vanderbilt-UNLV game. Home and home. UNLV took out Vandy down in Nashville and took them out pretty easily. It's a much better Vanderbilt team now. Both teams are striving for a season where they get to at least six or seven wins and you know finally get back to a bowl game. I had a chance to sit down with Kevin Ingram, who works the opposite sideline from myself for this game. I'm the sideline reporter for UNLV on radio. Kevin does it for Vandy football. He's also the play-by-play guy for the basketball team. And you know, in looking up what Vanderbilt has done so far, two and one, but they've had a little issue with turnovers. It's been a bit inconsistent, and that's how I started off the conversation, saying Commodores have got to cut down on these turnovers, right? Yeah, we've seen a couple interceptions here and there, but the the fumble punt was really big this past week. And, uh, yeah, we've just seen those things pop up a little too much. And I think more than anything, more than even maybe turnovers, was uh, not getting off the field on third down and not tackling as well as they needed to. Uh, Wake Forest was 10 for 15 on third down. That number's got to come down a, a whole lot. But you, you know, when you have chances to make tackles, you got to get people on the ground, wrap them up, and stop them. And I, I think as much as the turnovers, even those, even though those were big this past week, I think some of the other things were, were equally as frustrating. I think a lot of this game comes down to who's going to be able to stop the run. And so far, UNLV has not been great against the run, and they weren't awesome against Bryant. They really had a tough time stopping Michigan. What's going on with the run defense for the Commodores? Yeah, that was a problem last week against Wake Forest. And, and Wake Forest runs that really unique offense, that slow mesh system where they, they hand the ball off or at least you know put the ball in the running back's hands, and then the quarterback can pull it back out and pass or the running back can go ahead and take off. But the way it works is they just basically stop and then read the play, and then the running back goes. Vanderbilt – uh, did not defend the run as well as they needed to. It was over 200 rushing yards for Wake Forest in that game. And we were talking to Coach Lee on our Monday night show, and he was saying, look, if we could even have trimmed, say, 50 yards off that or a little more, it might have made all the difference in the game. So man, that's another area, and it kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with tackling and third down. you got to make those plays and get the stops and get off the field. So let's talk about some of the stars, at least by the numbers, 
on this defense, and you can tell us more about him. Uh, one, C.J. Taylor, I know he's got a bunch of sacks already, and then uh, the Commodores have a really big safety, you know, impressive size-wise in Derricky Wright. Yeah, I think when you're talking about this defense, it starts with those two guys. They're really versatile. They play sort of those hybrid spots, uh, you know, safety and move up and play some linebacker and that sort of thing. But yeah, they're they're just uh, really, really good athletes and good football players. C.J. Taylor is a guy who he was a sort of local guy. He's from McMinnville, which isn't very far from here. Uh, he's a big star in high school, and Vanderbilt felt really good to get him. Um, and then last year, you really saw him start to come on toward the end of the season when Vanderbilt won a couple games in the SEC against Kentucky and then against Florida. Uh, he was really good in those games. And then you know, it comes out this season, there's more on his shoulders, more is expected. And uh, he's off to a good start, four and a half tackles for loss, has three sacks already and leads the team with 25 total tackles. Jericky Wright, uh, a lot of the same sort of thing. Um, you know, he's he's a senior. He's been around this program quite a while. He's battled through some injuries, and he's had some tough times personally off the field. But it's been fun and special to see him become, uh, I think, what everybody was expecting. He's, he's a big guy, and he's really athletic. He, he turned an ankle a couple weeks ago against Alabama A&M, and he was slowed in practice a little bit last week leading into the Wake Forest game. But he got out there and played and played really well. So, uh, yeah, those those two are good starting points for any conversation about the Vanderbilt defense. Give me an X factor on defense. Could it be the kid? Uh, is it Darren Agu? Big kid, long. I, you know, I saw that he was a Notre Dame commit at, at one point. Um, he's gotten off to a pretty decent start, according to PFF. Yeah, I think uh, if you're looking for an X factor, that's a good one uh, to start with. Darren Agu, uh, he has had an elbow injury that he had back in camp about probably a month ago, and it it's kept him off the field. He was able to work his way back. Uh, he made his season debut against Wake Forest this past week. Uh, but yeah, he's he can be a big impact player on, on that defensive front. He also allows Vanderbilt to move some other guys around on that defensive line. So yeah, I, I think he's one, and he, I think he may have tweaked that that elbow a little bit last week, but he seemed like he was okay. Uh, but yeah, uh, really looking for for big things out of him. That that's a, a pretty nice X factor. Another guy is a, a sophomore linebacker named Langston Patterson. He's a second leading tackler, so maybe no secret he and his brother Kane are both uh, from here in Nashville. But uh, Langston has has become a really good, solid player on this defense. Uh, he's a guy he played some last year, and you see him some on special teams. But man, he's he's one of those dudes that just feels like he's always around the football. Kevin Ingram covers Vanderbilt football, uh, play by play for basketball. He's a sideline guy for Vanderbilt football. Again, from the outside looking at numbers, getting guys uh, what seventeen of them I think for seventeen plus plays on defense means that Clark Lee's kind of into the program here, building some depth so that when guys do get tweaked, you have you know a back line, a, a decent two line because that that's a, that's a real disaster in college football when you have no backups and guys start getting hurt, then you're dead in the water. Yeah, no question. And, and that's been something that Vanderbilt's really worked on building over these last couple of years. I was just thinking, even watching camp this year, how many more players there are out there now versus two years ago when Clark Lee was first here. It felt like there was about 60 guys out there. Now there's, you know, a hundred or so in, in camp. But building that depth is so key, especially, I mean, you look at the the teams in the SEC and the ones that have been really good. They always seem like they have lots of defensive linemen. Think about Georgia, think about Alabama or LSU or some of these teams that have been really good. They always have that great depth, especially on that defensive line. To me, that's such a key spot, uh, key position group in the Southeastern Conference. And, you know, Vanderbilt can get production and good depth out of that group. It'll really serve them well. But they've done a good job. They, they've added some nice recruiting classes, been able to stack those a bit. And feels like the talent level is definitely on the rise with this program.
You mentioned the importance of getting local recruits on defense. Uh, tell me about London Humphreys because he's a kid with size. It looks like he's a, a track athlete, again, a local, and he's been pretty good so far. He has a really nice performance so far through the first three games. He's caught two touchdowns, uh, had one this past week, and also had another big catch at Wake Forest and set up a touchdown toward the end of the first half. Yeah, he's a local guy. There, there. Like I say, there's quite a few of them from here in Nashville. Uh, he's one of those guys that just looks like you know, in running routes and, and catching the ball and not giving away when the ball's about to arrive to a defensive back. Uh, he just seems like he knows how to play football. Named SEC Freshman of the Week, had four catches for over 100 yards and that touchdown this past week. So really looks like a nice player. Junior Sherrill's another receiver from around here who's, who's been good so far. But I, I think for that receiver core, they want to get more catches out of more people, more contributions, get more people involved because that's that's another position group for this team that going into the season felt like it had a chance to really be a strength. In building a program, how much of Clark Lee's challenge is retention of players with the transfer portal? Because uh, Shepard kind of looks like a guy to me based on last season when he had nine touchdowns and 60 catches who could have been courted by a bunch of schools, but he's still there. Yeah, that's always a concern, isn't it? I, just in, in today's a way of doing college athletics, whether it's football or anybody else, it always or any other sport, I should say, it feels like you have to re-recruit your own players at times. Uh, but I, I think for this program, they've done a good job of retention. Uh, they were happy to have Will back for his senior year. Uh, I, I figure he'll be in a, you know, somebody's pro camp this time next year. But yeah, he's he's a really nice player and good. You know, it's one of those guys. He and AJ Swan have developed that chemistry, and you get to a situation where. You know, you got a short field and you need him to go up and make a catch in the end zone. He's been able to do it so far. But, you know, they've done a good job retaining the guys they have needed to. They had some departures last year. Uh, Lost Ray Davis, who was the the leading rusher and was just a really solid running back and one of those dudes you could depend on. He's now at Kentucky. And Mike Wright, who was one of the quarterbacks last year, he transferred as well to Mississippi State. And that's – it feels like it just comes with the territory in college athletics these days. But, But Clark Lee and his staff have done a good job of retaining guys. You know the story of Vanderbilt football as well as anyone and where it's been and where it wants to go. How big is this game, you know, with the SEC schedule on the way? Um, you know, I was there in, in what, 2019 when UNLV uh-huh. went in and, and, and kind of whacked Vanderbilt. They, they were they were the dominant team. It was not a fluke. Right. Um, Commodores can't afford to lose this game, right? I mean, if you're trying to get to six, seven, eight wins, this, is, this has to be a win. This is a really big game for Vanderbilt. Last week was a really big game at Wake Forest. Uh, start off two and zero, and you look at this non-conference stretch. But Vanderbilt plays all four of its non-conference games up front, and then it's it's SEC after this week. This is a crucial game for Vanderbilt. Yeah, you can't afford another loss because you start looking at the SEC and okay, you'll say you lose this week, then you're looking at having to go five hundred in the SEC to make it to a bowl, and that is really hard to do. Vanderbilt won two SEC games last year, as I mentioned earlier, and went into the final week with five wins and chance. You know, if you could have knocked out Tennessee to um, to get to a bowl last season, but came up short. So that's been the goal all along. But uh, this week here is really big. But even even if you win this week, you're looking at having to win three conference games to to get that six wins and, and be bowl eligible. So it's really an important one on, a, on the road again this week for this team. Yeah, Vandy's got – it's different than UNLV, but in some ways it's the same. Obviously, the SEC and the schedule is Herculean. Uh, group of five, it's a little bit easier in the Mountain West Conference. But I, I look at the two programs, and they kind of are mirror images and trying just – the standard would be, hey, just get to six or seven wins. Yeah. Make a bowl game. And the other thing is carving out a niche in a bigger city. And now, you know, obviously in Vegas, we've got the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, it is very important here for UNLV to win or people are not going to show up. 
How does Vanderbilt carve out a niche? How hard has it been to get media attention and get a lot of fans out there? I know the stadium's under construction right now, but talk about that a little bit and, and the, the struggle of just you know getting the appropriate attention. It hasn't been a struggle because this market has changed a lot in the last 25 years. Uh, I, I've, I've lived in this general area for about 40 years, and I've been in Nashville for the last 25, um, working around sports pretty much all of that time. Uh, with, with the arrival of the Titans and the, the Predators in the late 90s, that changed the way a lot of the, the media attention went. There's no question about it. Like what you guys are experiencing there in Vegas, uh, you, you do have to battle more for that media attention if you're Vanderbilt and you know, they, the, the local TV stations and radio stations and talk shows and all that are, are, are going to give more attention if you have an NFL team in your town. There's, that's, just, that's just the way it is, and you understand that. And uh, it has been a little bit of a battle for Vanderbilt, but uh, I feel like our people are are, are looking to, to push things in the right direction. This huge construction project that's going on, it, it looks like a mess right now, and it's challenging for everybody to get around. But when it's all done, it's going to be beautiful. Uh, they're building a new facility on the north end of the stadium that's going to be a basketball facility that will double as game day space for football. And then the South end zone is going to be a whole new building that will have all sorts of hospitality areas and things uh, also for student athletes and everything that will uh, really enhance the, the game day experience for football. It's all kind of a part of a, a new athletic village they're building their plans for baseball and a new uh, just office facility and everything for, for the overall athletics program. So when it's when it's all done, this Vandy United program, and this is you know a big project. It's going to take years to complete, but it's going to be beautiful, and it's going to reshape how athletics is done at Vanderbilt. It's pretty exciting, you know. It's like I say, it's challenging right now, but the the end result is going to be something really cool. There he is, Kevin Ingram, one of the voices of Vanderbilt football, also the play by play guy for Vanderbilt basketball. You know, they do have some really good athletic programs at Vanderbilt. Obviously, the baseball program is the top five program in the country they've had their moments in men's basketball and women's basketball football's just been an uphill climb um you know academic standards are a lot higher than some schools in the sec a little bit higher than others and i think a lot of their problems have probably been like unlv's now they're in a much tougher conference the competition is much higher but I, i'll say it a million times you can win anywhere in college football Damon, but it starts from the top down and if you don't have a good AD who is backed by a cooperative president, and then you got to get the right coach, and then you handle the alums and the donors the right way, because it's all got to be a machine working in one direction. And I think there's been a lot of confusion at Vanderbilt in what they've wanted to do over the years. But uh, we'll see. This uh, I was almost going to call him a kid. He's not that young. But Clark Lee is their head coach, and he's worked under some really good coaches. He's only 41 years old, was most recently the uh, D.C., at Notre Dame he's in you know year two plus now and as Kevin said last year they're right on the brink and then they lose that key game to finish up at five and seven I mean looking at their players and looking at their roster you can tell they're in the SEC uh, from this now they don't have Alabama and Georgia and LSU size like on all three lines of their team you know the ones twos and threes but they're getting closer to having it in the ones. And just looking at their defense, you can see, you know, 6'6", 242, uh, you know, on defensive end, 300-pounders inside. Safeties are, you know, 6'2", 210, 6'4", 217. So they're getting there. I don't know if they're ever going to have the depth where they're going to have, you know, the ones backed up by the same exact size guys 
um, you know, and down onto the threes. But I think they're going to be good enough that they should be able to go 500. You know, don't play behemoths in non-con. But this year's pivotal. Not saying the guy's job is on the line because it's only year three, but really, I meant that. You know, the SEC is a different level of competition, um, but the goal for both of these programs is the same. And right now, it's not like some incredible level they have to reach. It's getting to six or seven wins, and then starting to do that consistently. So this is a big game. Uh, UNLV's got a lot more leeway, but this would go such a long way to get a win against Vandy, and then we'll see what UTEP does. We're going to follow UTEP this weekend. Um, they've been playing pretty poorly, but but that would be a dream if they could actually get out of the gates here with a couple of wins now and next week and start off 3-1. and one. You're shaking your head. It's not going to be easy. Oh, no, that was a woo-wee shake my head. Uh, yeah. They could do that? Well, DeMond, they did last year. And then they went to San Jose, and Doug Brumfield got knocked out of the game, and the backup quarterbacks just were not ready to play. And in that game, the team kind of freaked out. Um. I will say this year, and it hasn't been talked about a lot, that I feel a lot better about the team's chances because of what we've seen from Jade Maiava, the backup at a Liberty High School. And I don't necessarily want Maiava to be playing in front of Brumfield, but this year I think if Brumfield went down, Maiava is well-equipped as a good backup and will be ready. So this was coming into this, we'll say – before the spring, I think this was kind of a Brumfielder bust at quarterback, and Maya has made enough strides that I think they're going to be okay. So that's a good thing. Do you also think that the offense is just more conducive to not just any quarterback can come in and play, but but it's you know helping it'll help them out more than the last year's offense? No, I, I thought Arroyo's offense was good. It was overly complicated. Players said that. Um, it also leaned way too heavily on one guy in Aiden Robbins, and remember, it wasn't just Brumfield who got hurt for a series of games and then got knocked out of the Reno game. Aiden Robbins was having a really good season, and then he got dinged up for a couple of games. He wasn't available at Notre Dame. That gave him no chance, um, and he came back kind of slowly in the first half of his season, was much more productive than the second half. They're also right now not in a situation where they only have one running back because the, the Arroyo staff, for some reason, uh, and some of it may have been valid, uh, didn't trust Courtney Reese to be out there. And Courtney is a small guy, so it kind of changes things in terms of putting him in a block in the backfield. Uh, they're they're deeper at running back. And, uh, well, I mean, the big question going into this game is the, the passing game has got to get going. Ricky White has got to hold on to the ball. They've got to find a way to get more receivers, the ball in space. And I think a lot of that's going to be Jacob De Jesus. So you're going to hear a lot more about this uh, tomorrow, pregame, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock kickoff. Ted Ween's pregame show starts at – Three. Uh, meanwhile, get on down here to Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. There's great games going on right now. Obviously, Saturday and the Sunday slates are jam-packed. If you want to bet a little later outside of normal hours at the Sportsbook, they got the 24-7 kiosk. And the food here is really good. They've got two different loco mocos, the regular and the uh, Cajun moco. I just saw that they added a new item. They've got a uh, carne asada fries. That sounds good. Uh, marinated Angus beef, pico, served with... Uh, Guacamole and uh, pickled carrot relish. Carne asada fries added to the menu here at the Golden Sportsbook and Bar. All right, rapid fire on the way back. DeMond is going to make a pick if he doesn't want to. He doesn't have to. I will make a pick on every single NFL game we have not mentioned so far. Down the stretch here at Treasure Island. Cofield and Company presents. Hey, hold on. Hold on. Hey, good, hey, good. 
grab bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. All right, Damon, you ready? I'm ready. I've got the lines pulled up. All right. It's a Cofield and Company tradition. We uh, try to squeeze as many picks in the grab bags as, as uh, grab bags grab bag as possible on Football Friday. So here we go. We'll start off with the Chargers at the Titans. L.A. is laying three. Titans, baby. Uh, that's right. You're not objective on this one, nor am I, because uh, I am a uh, closet Chargers fan. But I'm going to lay the, the uh, three with the Chargers, so we're head-to-head on that one. Falcons and Packers. Packers were favored early in the week. They're a little bit beat up. Um, Packers are – check that. Falcons are now laying one and a half. Oh, I'm taking the Packers. Why? Um, I believe in enough of what I saw in Jordan Love's. You saw one week. Yes. And are you trying to are you trying to pull a reverse jinx for your bet? You said uh, Jordan Love would not be as good as Justin Fields. Now, scenario, you're just gonna you're gonna pick him and try to jinx yourself? Hey, that doesn't mean that Justin Fields isn't gonna have another game. I mean, wait wait till we get to that one. Okay. I'm gonna get to it right now. because uh, I have a strange feeling about this one. The number I think should be bigger based on impressions off of last week. Uh, Bucks are two and a half against the Bears. Where do you go here? I'm going with the Bears. How can you say about Justin Love it was just one game, but Baker Mayfield it was just one game? It's been more than one game for Zach Wilson. I'm not making the call on one game. Trust me. I'll, I'll explain it in a little bit. Um, Jordan Love and Justin Fields. Let's not, let's not cross them up. Um, how about the Texans and the Colts? I have a strange take on this one, but the uh, Texans are minus one. I, that, th- okay, this is one I've got no real opinion. I'll go Colts. That, yeah, by the way, <laughs> that is completely fine on games. You don't have to make a pick. No. Because, and that, you don't, no one bets the whole board unless they're lunatics. So I have to wait on this one because with C.J. Stroud, a quarterback for the Texans, I'm going to take the Colts. If Davis Mills is the quarterback and Stroud is questionable, if Davis Mills is the QB, I'm going to lay the point with the Texans. So I think that's fair, right? I get to at least wait to see who the quarterback is, correct? Yeah, that's fair. That's not cheaping out? No. Uh, Lions down to four and a half against the Seahawks. You know, early in the week, I was uh, all over the Seahawks, plus six, plus six and a half. So, But we're, uh, we're using the number right now, so what do you do? Lions four and a half. Take the Lions. Yeah, lay that. I might lean Lions. I don't love the number as much now, but it could change a lot on Sunday. Raiders and Bills. Bills, eight on my chart. Would have been better if you could have got it at 10, but I'd still <laughs> yes. take the Raiders. You're going to take the Raiders plus. Okay, I'm going to lay it with the Bills. Chiefs and Jaguars. Chiefs are three and a half. Chris Jones, Travis Kelsey, both back. Okay, I'm sorry. Chiefs. Why are you sorry? No, I was like, I, I paused too long. I was, right. I was thinking the the playoff game. I really wanted to think about it. Like, could Jacksonville try to have something to prove? But Kelsey's back. Chiefs. It's good to have the weapons back. They have motivation. I think the Jags are a good team, not a great team. I don't like laying the hook, but I'm going to lay the three and a half with the Chiefs. And the other thing to watch in this game is there's talk this week about, hey, the receivers get it. They know they have to play a good game for the Chiefs. They better. And Kadarius Toney, if he has more drops and bobbles and mistakes, don't ever go on social media again because he went back and forth this week after an offseason of talking a lot of junk to Giants fans. Um, He better be at least decent and not cause mistakes that lead to scores for the Jaguars. 
Bengals, three. Horrendous performance the first uh, game of the season. Burrow had been out for a while. Uh, what do you do here? You're going to take the Ravens plus the three? Yes, because I'm believing in the Ravens. I okay, like the I'm offense. Gonna, I'm going to lay it with the Bengals. I am going to take the Giants minus the points four against the Cardinals. What do you want to do? That No opinion. Maybe okay. Josh Dobbs shocks us. Be loud on – be quiet on offense. Be loud on defense. Last 30 seconds, I'm going to go rapid fire with all my picks, and we're going to tweet out the Mon sides on these. I'm laying the seven with the Niners against the Rams. I'm laying the eight and a half with the Cowboys against the Jets. I'm going to take the Commanders against the Broncos plus three and a half, and I will lay the two and a half with the Dolphins. Uh, that is probably 80% ATS right there. I feel it. I feel it. Thanks to the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. Come on down here tomorrow. Throw the flag starts with Lindsey and Magnum at 9 o'clock. They'll get you ready for the day in college football and more NFL analysis and picks from the folks. I can't call them fellas. So Lindsey and Magnum back at 9 a.m. Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar with Throw the Flag.